You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Hello, and welcome to the Over a Drink podcast. We are, we're cruising along here. We are, um, I don't know, I think this will probably be episode nine. Uh, I am recording in succession because I have a baby on the way. And today I get to do the first, uh, the first time I've done this is a Zoom call, and there's nobody that I would rather be doing it with than the guy that's sitting across the screen from me. Um, it's weird, not it's not weird, it's just cool. But, um, so Reza Zadeh here, he um was one of the first people actually that I met on campus at Colorado State. He is the um, at, at the time, he was running athletes in action. Uh, and so he, if you don't, if you're not familiar with athletes in action, it is a on-campus ministry, uh, that works with student athletes. Um, and I got involved and Reza has been a mentor in my life. I, I spent many a nights on his family room floor, uh, in his backyard. Uh, we had to, at one point tell his daughter that I was engaged and we had to break it to Macy really gently because she was, she was going to marry Mitchie boy. Uh, and so Reza is, uh, yeah, he is a, a, a very much a mentor figure in my life and I'm honored to have him here. Uh, Reza, thank you for joining me today. Bro. It is so good to be here to see what you're doing. I love it. It's funny you brought up Mitchie Boy. Like my, my wife and I were talking this morning as I was going through my day and kind of talking about everything we were doing. She saw your name on my on my calendar. We share our calendars. And so she asked me about the podcast and I told her a little bit about it. And then she said, hey, be, be sure to mention that Mitch Parson was our eight-year-old daughter's very first crush. And um, we did. We literally did have to like gently let her know when Mitch got engaged. Um, she was probably five at the time. And so, yeah, yeah bro, you're just, you're just breaking hearts left and right, man. Oh my goodness. I, I don't know Mace, if your wife knows what she's done. I don't think, <laughs> I, I think my wife does not know that she has an enemy up North that <laughs> <laughs> she has, she has to be careful. So I think she's actually, though, cause we came up to your house. You met, for a, you met him. Yeah. When you guys met the chickens. Yeah. And Macy was all about your guys' new chickens at the time they were. They were new chickens. Yeah, um, they were. So she, and, it's a good thing because she has something to distract her from, from getting <laughs> mad at your wife. Yeah, um, that's so funny. So Reza, tell me a little bit about yourself. If you were to introduce yourself to somebody on an elevator, elevator pitch, they have 15 to 20 seconds to, I am Reza here, boom. Oh, yeah, 15, 20 second elevator pitch. My honest elevator pitch is, hey, my name is Reza. Uh, nice to meet you. I have been able to be a part of a lot of cool things in life. And yet at the same time, um, I am still fumbling my way through figuring out how to do life. That's kind of how I would, that's kind of how I would in a 15, 15 second, very honestly describe who I am and, and where I'm at. I think, you know, uh, God has allowed me to be a part of some pretty amazing things, you know, coming to the United States and growing up here, being born in another country and being able to have relationships and influence people like you, um, other athletes, uh, being different positions of leadership. And yet here I am at 44 years old trying to figure out, okay, God, what do I do with all these experiences and these gifts and talents? And I'm not exactly sure. Hmm. 44 years old. I would have pegged you at like 34 years old. Shoot. Ah, uh, good job. No, 44, you baby, 44. It's the Iranian genes. A lot of turmeric. <laughs> a lot of turmeric. <laughs> a lot of turmeric. Uh, speaking of Iranian genes, uh, I've heard you speak a few times on a public platform and you've used this. What is your full name? Oh, yeah, dude. My full name is Ali Reza Sadarhiani Zadeh. That's the Which name my go- parents gave me. And you go by, is that on your driver's license or is Reza on your driver's license? Dude, it license? is. No, Ali Reza Sadagioni today is on my driver's license. Wow. Um, my full name, because that's what's on my that's what's on my passport. Birth, 
That's what's on my U.S. naturalization papers. So that's what's on my ID. Cool. That's cool. So so Reza is also a CSU Rammy. Um, he went to CSU. He played football there, um, which we don't proudly claim currently. Uh, <laughs> Bro, I do because I went to CSU and played when we were good. Like I was just telling someone the other day, like we entered a season. I think my first year we ended up number 17 in the nation. Started my junior year preseason rank number 13. Um, no, we were at one point, Mitch, I didn't think you know this, bro. But like when I was a GA, I was helping with the recruiting and I put together the recruiting book that coaches yeah. would take to, you know, go recruit. And there was a stat that I found that CSU was the number was in the top three most televised programs in the entire nation. Number one in the nation was Notre Dame because they have their own network, NBC. Yeah. So, and this is this is a um, late '90s, uh, early 2000s, where you didn't stream whatever game you wanted. So, yeah, it was basically whatever ESPN chose. So, Notre Dame was number one, Florida State was number two, and number three in the nation was Colorado State. Um, wow. So, so we were good, bro, back in the day. So, I am proud to be a CSU Ram from back then. From back um, then. I'm not too proud right now. <laughs> we were just talking uh, earlier about how my Vanderbilt Commodores and also my CSU Rams are playing each other this weekend. Well, when y'all are watching this or hearing this, they will have already played. So um, I have some bets with old teammates on what the what the game is going to finish out. But uh, Reza has a, a, a smaller window today. Uh, and so I want to honor that and give him the chance to talk uh, about himself a little bit, which he doesn't like to do. So we're we're gonna push him to to his comfort zone, um, out of his comfort zone. So Reza, uh, uh, when it comes to story, when it comes to testimony, um, you have a lot, and there's a lot of different things that you can talk about. And so I kind of put you in a position of uh, disadvantage when I said just talk about whatever. Um, and I apologize, um, but good, I would I I would love. Um, we also talked about how, um, Holy spirit will include what he wants to include and exclude where there doesn't need to be attention drawn to. And so, um, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, if you would just share with us, you got it, bro. You got it. Well, I know I've alluded a little bit before I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Iran and, uh, my parents came to the United States when I was young, I was about three years old. When we came to the United States and moved here and we moved here, my dad had a job. So he moved out here. And while we were in the United States, I was super young. Uh, there was a revolution in Iran. And so everything my parents had known about Iran had changed basically overnight. So luckily we were already in the States when that happened. So we didn't have to escape. So my parents had work visas. They turned those work visas into green cards. Uh, we had those green cards for a number of years. And then, you know, they became American citizens after their, I think it's eight years you have to wait after you get a green card to become American citizen. And then when I turned 18, I applied and became American citizen. So we came to this country when I was young. And Mitch, I'll tell you what, man, even as I go through a lot of my story work and counseling and processing, like, I didn't realize, I, I, I didn't realize until recently how profound um, that impacted me because, you know, I come to the United States. We can barely speak. My, my mom doesn't speak English at all. My dad speaks a little bit English because he came. He went to he went to undergrad and grad school in the states. I was like learning how to speak, so I didn't speak English. And so having to learn how to speak English, my mom and I would watch Sesame Street. That's kind of like how I learned how to how to talk and how to speak English. And yet, like my whole life, I felt like an outsider. And I think that's something that I'm realizing. Like here, I am, Iranian kid, grew up in Southern California. In a, you know, beat you know near the beach, Laguna Beach, Laguna Hills, Mission Viejo area. Grew up out there, and yet always an outsider. I was a bigger kid, so I was always kind of chubby, kind of bigger. You know, I was an easy target to be to be teased and made fun of. I've got a funny name. Um, I'm darker than everybody else, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm physically, I'm just, I'm, I'm just overweight. And so that was kind of like that's. I'd always been an outsider, but yet, like one of the ways that God's redeemed that is I have learned how to get along with people in any way, shape, or form in any environment because I've always been the only one. Most every environment I walk into, I'm the only one. I'm the only Iranian that's there. And so so I've learned how to like camouflage, which in some ways is good. And yet in other ways, I, I've learned to compartmentalize and I've learned to hide. 
uh, behind things because I am able to camouflage myself. So, you know, grew up in Southern California, um, grew up as a little Muslim kid and uh, moved to uh, Colorado State, came to Colorado State after a short brief stint at a junior college in California, walked on at CSU, um, ended up making the team. And uh, that's, where I, that's where I met the Lord. That's where I met Jesus through Athletes in Action, actually, and was discipled on campus. And uh, after that, I went into ministry. And I thought I'd be a football coach and thought that's how I was going to influence people for the kingdom. But yet the Lord seemed to direct my path differently. And so I found myself um, serving in a local church as a college pastor, did that for nine years and incredible, fruitful nine years of ministry, just fun and relationships. And then my wife and I were asked to plant a venue of the church we were a part of. And so we planted a church in a nearby community called Windsor, Colorado, planted Timberline Windsor and just had a blast there. And uh, for those few years that we led that church, God did some miracles and we, you know, saw it grow. And then unfortunately, we kind of ran into a, a, a rough patch with the leadership of the church um, that we had planted through. And there were some philosophical differences and leadership differences and kind of came to the point where my wife and I realized it's 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 time for us to be done. And so mm. we left. So we left that church. We we resigned, which was painful to kind of leave in a lot of ways, like a baby, like a baby organization that we got to watch be birth. And yeah. yet we had to walk away from it. And uh, so there's still a lot of pain and grief and frustration. And even as I look back, confusion on why God allowed all that to happen. But since then, uh, we have stepped into a role with Athletes in Action, kind of came back to my spiritual roots mm -hmm. and uh, doing ministry at CSU, did some work at CU with their football coaches uh, in the Mel Tucker years, specifically the Mel Tucker years. And even a little bit last year with Carl Durrell. But um, uh, so I did that and then been serving the Broncos as their chaplain. Uh, this will be my fifth season um, coming wow. alongside some of those players. My wife works with the wives and the girlfriends of the players. So, yeah, in a lot of ways, I look back and I'm like, Lord, thank you for all these incredible stuff I've been a part of. And yet I find myself, like I said before, like, but what is it all for? Like, hmm. really, is that is, is is that really what life is about? So, so that's kind of where, that's kind of a little part of my story uh, of who I am and just try to discover just really who truly is Jesus and is the evangelical machine that I have been a part of, that I've led in, that I've been impacted by in one way of like, you know, meeting the Lord. Like I, I was brought up through the evangelical machine and yet sitting on the other side going, man, I'm just not so sure we aren't making some pretty big mistakes when it comes to the way that we hmm. facilitate this thing that we call church. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's definitely one of those things that it's as you sit on the other side of it, because you are the product of a evangelical, like, could you tell the story of how you, when you were on campus, like how you became a Christian? Um, yeah, bro. You... So, yeah. So I was living, I, you know, moved in the dorms my first year at CSU and kind of did it all, like did what everyone does in the dorms, man. We, we partied, we, I mean, we did it up. And uh, that's what I thought you're supposed to do. Cause again, like for me, Mitch, like the only way I found out about American culture, I didn't learn it from my parents. My parents had no clue. I had to like watch TV and be like, oh, that's how you do it. Or I had to talk to my friends and mimic my friends. Um, like, bro, I didn't know what prom was. Like, I had no idea. Like, people kept talking about prom, and I'm like, what is prom? And hmm. like, ask them, my, oh, it's a dance. Okay, I get that. Like, I didn't even know what homecoming, bro, I didn't know what homecoming was <laughs> until my sophomore year at CSU. Even all through really? high school, I always thought, because it's always early in the year, I always thought it was the first home game that the football team played after their first away game. Like, uh, they were coming home. Like, I had no idea what homecoming wow. was all about. And then at CSU, it's like, oh, all the alumni are coming back. Okay, I get it. It's homecoming. <laughs> or, um, bro, this is even funnier because my son, my son runs cross country. He's sixth grade. He's loving cross country at his middle school. Dude, I remember I was a probably the freshman, it was either a freshman or a sophomore in high school. And I was in the like academic, like the um, administrative building, like where the principal's office is and everything. Yeah. 
And I was like the attendance. I don't know what I was doing there. But there was this picture of all the sports teams in there. And there was a picture of the cross-country team. And I remember staring, Mitch. I'm like staring at this picture like, what do they do? Like, I don't get what, it. What is what is going on here? What Like, I, they're all standing <laughs> and posing. And, you know, back home, everyone takes pictures of the beach with their team pictures. And so they're at, like on these rocks out at Laguna Beach. And they've all got like tank tops on and shorts. And I'm like studying this picture going, what is this sport? Like, I don't see any balls. I don't see any equipment. Like, what do they do? And I remember it, like, even as, like, I was like, a, yeah, I must have been a sophomore because it was one girl who was on the cross-country team that I, like, had a crush on. But I had no idea, like, what her sport was. And so one day, it was, like, my junior year at football practice, someone was like, hey, there's a cross-country team. And I, like, look. And I saw some people running. I was like, bro, what do they do? Like, <laughs> what does cross-country do? And they're like, they they run. And I was like, yeah, but, like, where? And, like, and why? what do they kick? And, and why? You know, so – so I didn't know American culture, but like, so when I was at CSU, like, man, I just figured this is what you do. That's what everyone else, this is what you do. So we were hanging out at the dorms. And then that summer, some roommates and I decided, hey, let's move into an apartment complex. It's right down the road from campus. And at the time, it was a brand new apartment complex called Rams Village. And that's where all the parties were. And so we thought, man, let's just go move there and let's be where all the parties are. Hmm. So I moved there. And so I did that. And then... um as we moved in for the summer, we thought, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to summer school. We're, you know, go to, go to workouts. And then we're just going to hang out at the pool and do all the stuff that we want to do. Yeah. Well, one day, like these minivans start coming into the parking lot and we were like, dude, what's up with the minivans? Like, that's kind of weird. Like, like, why are all these minivans coming into the parking lot? And, and so we set one of my roommates down to be like, Hey, go check out like who these people are. Cause kids were getting out and they're unpacking. And this was like, you know, last week of May, first week of June, we've only been in the apartment for like a week or so. Mm-hmm. And, and we were like, and so we sent my roommate down and he comes back up and he slams the door, Mitch. And he's like, well, the Christians are in town. And we were like, what do you mean the Christians are in town? He's like, dude, I don't know. I just know there's a bunch of people down there. And they said they're Christians. And they're going to be here all summer long. And they said this entire apartment complex and school is going to be full of Christians all summer long. And we were like, well, this is going to be the worst summer ever. You know, like <laughs> no partying. Gonna, dude, they're going to, they're going to ruin it. We're going to sing Kumbaya and light candles. <laughs> but turns out every other year at the time, Campus Crusade for Christ, this worldwide missions organization, mm-hmm. held their staff conference in Fort Collins at CSU. And so here I am living in this apartment complex, surrounded by all these people that serve, um, that serve in Campus Crusade. And not only were they crew staff members, there's a little slice of crew called Athletes in Action that focuses on reaching uh, athletes, college Olympic, and, uh, college Olympic and pro athletes. And so, bro, here we are, like in this apartment complex, surrounded by people that work with athletes. So the first eight, you know, those eight weeks that followed that, man, we would barbecue with them. We'd hunt. We still like did our party and everything. We thought, well, let's just do what we can. Maybe they won't like us or whatever, you know? Yeah. But Mitch, dude, they embraced us. They loved us. They like trusted us to like take their kids to the swimming pool. And I remember one time I was like, bro, I shouldn't be trusted with the freshman in college at the swimming pool, <laughs> let alone like these people's kids, you know? And, um, but yeah, dude, it was just this incredible summer. And so the night before they left after knowing them for eight weeks, it was an eight week relationship. They invited me and my roommates over for dinner and they just said, Hey, we want to tell you why we do what we do. And at that point I said, man, I would love it. Like, please mm-hmm. tell me, please tell me why. Cause I don't understand. And that's the night that they walked through what was called the four spiritual law booklet, the knowing God personally mm-hmm. booklet. And they just walked me through what it meant to follow Jesus. And uh, that's the night that I said yes and started my spiritual journey. So wow. in a lot of ways, my birthplace spiritually is this evangelical organization called crew that I love deeply. and serving in a local church that I loved deeply. And so when I say I've got some, you know, questions about how we do church, it's not that I have any, any intention of rejecting anything evangelical related. It's just more of a rethinking of maybe, maybe those um, methodologies weren't the best. Maybe me Hmm. saying those things or, 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 you know, teaching in that way, maybe that wasn't the best, or especially Hmm. the way that I've led in the past. Yeah. I, 
I think that a, I, I talked about this yesterday um, with a friend and my aunt cha- challenged me on the idea of being constantly curious mm-hmm. and especially in your faith. Like, I think we're in this societally right now, this thing that says like deconstructing my faith and you were deconstructing everything and everything's getting deconstructed. But then, it, and I saw someone say, it's cool to deconstruct things, but what if you don't put it back together? Like, like, I think it's important, like what you're, I, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you're not necessarily deconstructing, but you're looking, you're pulling it apart and trying to put it back together in the way that you think is the right, like a better way. You're trying to re like, is it, am I, am I wrong for saying that? Is that yeah, like a, totally. Um, yeah, I think that's totally, it's not, it's not rejecting everything. It's just more, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about it more and just wondering like, huh, how do we put, how do we truly put legs to our faith and mm-hmm. not just do what we've been pre-programmed to do? Hmm. That's, um, that's awesome. And then that's something that you had, you had mentioned that you're uh, in counseling for, and you're, I have, ever since I've known you, you've been an advocate for counseling, um, which I took a little bit of warming up to because um, I, was always a tough guy who didn't need counseling and I don't, I'll deal with it myself. Um, could you, is there, could you speak to the importance that counseling has paid, uh, played in your life um, over the, not don't need to go in depth into what you're going to counseling for, but just almost like sure. um, the, the idea of counseling as a, as a whole, um, how it's influenced your life. Bro, I have been, my wife and I call herself counseling junkies. Um, I, I started going to counseling. I started going to counseling about three years into my marriage. So I was 30, 31, 31 years old. And because I had just like, I'd never, I'd never told anybody at the time, man, I was, I was abused. I was sexually abused when I was 11 years old by a friend Mm -hmm. who was a few years older than me. And I'd always just like, I never like talked about it. I just always kind of threw it in as like, Oh, that was just young boys curiosity or whatever, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, put in whatever thing. But then like, after I got married, I was like, dude, I've got some warped views of myself, of sexuality, of, of my wife and I and intimacy. And so I just realized one day I was like, dude, I wonder if like what happened all those years ago um, is impacting this. And so that's the first mm-hmm. time I went to counseling and bro, I know like, here, here's what I love about like, count, like if you talk to a counselor now, they're booked out. Like that's hmm. the crazy thing right now. Every counselor, there's not one counselor I know that it's like, hey, I call them up. Hey, can I get into an appointment? Sure, come in tomorrow. Like everything is like, oh, I'm booked out three weeks. I'm booked out a month. I'm all, you know, my kids, we we walk our kids. You know, my kids know, hey, there's some sticky points that we have in life. We need to go see a counselor. They're totally cool with it. My kid's counselor, you know, I I, I texted her. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I am, I am booked out a month right now. And I sent her a text back and I go, okay, well, two things. One, I'm bummed that you're, that you're um, booked out a month because, you know, my kids love you and I want to yeah. you know, talk to them. I'm also bummed that there's that many kids that have issues that they want to process with you. But yet I'm ecstatic yeah. that counseling is now something that's widely accepted as parents are like, yeah, our kid needs some, t- some help. Here's what I realized, bro. Like, I remember years ago when I first started on counseling, Tiger Woods was the best golfer in the world. Hmm. Like he didn't have a coach because he's a bad golfer. He didn't have a coach because he sucked at golfing or anything. He actually had a coach that could see things that he didn't see. And he just needed somebody to help him with a little bit of technique. His Hmm. coach probably can't beat him at golf. I'm just assuming maybe he can, maybe he can't. (laughs) So it's not that like, I don't view, I view counseling through that kind of a lens. It's, I need an outside perspective, someone that's not emotionally invested in my life that I can share stuff with and they can give me some wise, skilled words because they've studied, they they're, they're, you know, have experience, they've worked with other people, they've seen all these things kind of flesh out in people's, people's lives. So. Okay. I love, I didn't, I love that you uh, have your kids in counseling. That's so I, on a previous episode brought that question up to a friend of like, cause I was talking about how much I have learned through my counseling. I was like, and I'm reading a book about, uh, um, 
being a dad to a daughter. Uh, and it, the first page, couple pages talk about like, this is what you're getting ready to send your daughter into. This is the world that we live in essentially. And my first yeah. thought was, I want to put her in counseling from the minute that I can so that she can start combating these things now, but you're actually doing that. And that's super cool. I, um, and here's what I want to normalize, bro. I want to normalize my kids feeling the freedom to have other people speak into their lives. Hmm. Like because of who their parents are. And even to like, even now, my kids are young. I have a 13 year old daughter, 11 year old boy, and eight year old daughter. And they're like at the point where they're so sick and tired of going to the grocery store with me or whatever, because I've been leading, you know, in this community where I live now for 24 years now. And so it's not that big. I live in Fort Collins area. I mean, it's got what, 180,000 people in the area, but it's still not that big of a place. And so, you know, they know everywhere I go, like someone knows my dad or everywhere I go, someone knows my mom or, you know, we're Reza and Allison's kids. And, you know, my dad's a chaplain or my dad, you know, was a pastor, all yeah. this stuff. And so I want my kids to know, dude, there, there have to be people outside of us hmm. that, that get to speak into your lives because hmm. at some point I could tell them anything and I could tell them two plus two is four but they're not going to believe me until someone else tells them two plus two is four, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so normalizing the fact of allowing other people to speak into them is pretty powerful. Dang. Yeah. You actually, as you say that, it reminds me of something that you said to me. Oh, I don't know. It would have been, I was living in a hotel because our bathroom was being remodeled because of a flood. Um, So that would have been March. It was March. I remember that. Um, you had told me, oh, I just shook my whole computer, uh, that, uh, you challenged me. You said, Mitch, you are not vulnerable. You are transparent. Mm. Yeah. Um, you said you're transparent. You, you share, uh, what is going on in your head and your heart, but vulnerability is allowing someone the permission to touch it. Um, and I well, now I do. Now I, I, um, I think I was vulnerable with my wife uh, mm-hmm. for a while. She's been a lot, but even still, it was almost like this pride of like, okay, you know, and you're willing to. I'm allowing you to potentially speak into it, but pridefully, you don't know what I'm feeling. So, like, yeah. I, I don't know how much I, tr- I love you to death, and you're my wife, but like you don't like, you don't know what I'm feeling. So then I went started going to counseling and there was this like little, like an unlock of like, she does know (laughs) my counselor does know because she sits with, with literally dozens of other athletes. Like I go to an athlete specific um, eating specialist um, and she's a Christian and I'm able to sit in there and be like, I don't get why I feel this way about myself. Knowing what God says about me doesn't matter. Um, it just should, but, um, but she has been able to speak and I've been able to be vulnerable, which is something that you taught me. Um, yeah. And that's really cool that you're teaching your kids at a young age. Uh, Cause I feel like part of what this whole thing is, is like trying to undo everything that, I and men have been taught by society over the last however many generations of like counseling is bad. Talking about it is bad. Don't talk about it. It makes you weak. Um, whereas if you're teaching Owen at the age of eight, no, Macy's eight. Owen's he's, 11. He's 11. Yeah. He's 11. Um, if you were, te- if you're teaching Owen when I, and I'm sure you were teaching him at the age of eight, but that it's okay to have emotions and it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to be a man and still go to counseling and talk about things. Um, so kudos to you. That's, that's super cool. Thanks bro. Yeah, dude, I think it's, it's such a, it's such a powerful thing, man. I think that that vulnerability versus transparency conversation is one worth having as well, because it's interesting. It, I think it takes a lot of bravery to be transparent because it's like, oh, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to, you know, this is me. But in some ways, I think it's actually prideful. It's actually, we do it out of a, look how transparent I am being. Look how much I'll let you see inside of me or all this stuff. Bro, that's social media right now. Like social yeah. media is the epitome of, of, of transparency. Um, I'm having a bad day or I'm having this and all that stuff. 
but we don't allow people to like actually see us and touch us at the same. Cause I think if it, it takes bravery to be transparent, it takes courage to be vulnerable because it takes courage to allow somebody to touch that wound or to enter into that wound um, mm. with you. And I think there's, there's power there. And I think anything that I see scripture wise, anything I see kingdom wise, like the, 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 the Western mindset, and this isn't an American, like, I don't want to say Western, I don't mean America. I mean, Western, Western Europe, you know, you know, the Americas, yeah. Western culture is so individualistic. Like you are strong. If you can do this on your own, man, bro, that is not, that is not, first of all, it's not the ways of Jesus. And that's not the way the majority of the world views life. We view life that way in the Western world. It's, but like the majority of the world views life of like, I can't get through my life without my tribe. I can't get through my life without my community. I can't get through my life without my family. Like I have to have these people around me. I can't do it on my own. And so I think there's this false narrative that we've been taught, however, however wherever it came from, that if I do it and I do it on my own, that means I am strong and I am good. Mm. And if I need anyone else, then I am bad. Wow. You know, yeah, and it's like, pick it up, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just go. And like you get knocked down, figure it out. Like, I think that was one of the biggest things Which, I had to learn. Huh? Yeah, bro. None of, none of that's in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. No, none of, and that's like, that's yeah. the thing is like, I, I, I joke. I'm like, like we have all these because this this podcast is like uh for me I was talking to my wife about it actually on our walk this morning about how there are deep christian roots to it like it is a I am a christian I but to to pretend like men who don't believe in Jesus don't feel pain um is naive <laughs> and so like there's also like I want to talk to men on here who who don't believe what I believe, but like I believe that like as a there are a good amount of Christian men who listen to this and we claim that we want to walk like Jesus. Well, Jesus walked with twelve other men. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Jesus had people around him that he did life with and that he was vulnerable with. Um, and like you said, that like the pick yourself up from the bootstraps was not on in the sermon on the Mount. It, Jesus never said, do it by yourself. He actually says the yeah. opposite. And that's one of the things that I've had to really learn in marriage is that, I mean, forever when you're single, you, you essentially handle, like, at least for me, when I was single, I still had, I didn't have a bunch of guy friends that I went deep with or that I allowed myself to go deep with. And then you get married and it's like, well, actually, I don't have to do this by myself, but I'm so used to doing it by myself and I kind of, I'm comfortable doing it by myself, but it's so much easier not doing it by myself. Yeah. And it's it truly, and, and it's, I'm, uh, you didn't really jump into it, but, and so again, correct me if I'm wrong, but you started going to counseling because you said that it was affecting you and Allison. Um, oh, totally. And, and that's what started, that's what started me. It's like, I wonder like what it is for men, like, what is it going to be? for a single guy, what, what is, what does it take for you to finally be like, I'm going to go to counseling? Like, what is that? Um, because for you and I, it was an impact on the person that we love more than anybody in the world. Um, did, had you ever considered going to counseling for that prior to like, was that even a thought? Nope. No. And it was never a, someone has suggested going to counseling. And I said, no, I just never, just didn't think about it. Yeah. Uh, didn't think about it. And yet, because I think a lot of my life I've had, and this is, this is part of my brokenness, part of my broken story. A lot of my life is you got to figure it out. Like go figure it out, figure it out on your own and don't know how to speak English, figure it out. Watch Sesame street. Don't know what prom is. Go figure it out. Don't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've always had to like, just go figure it out. I have no idea, you know, how do you be a college student? I don't know. Go figure it out. Walk on at CSU and live in the dorms, you know? So my whole life has been figure it out. And to be honest, Mitch, like I'm, I'm good at figuring it out. Like I'm really, I'm, I am better at like, give me all the pieces and I'll figure out how to put it together than follow the instructions. But I've learned that 
even though there's a glory of God piece of figuring it out and God has led me to places, um, there's a lot of damage that's a, that, that I gained a lot of the way along the way. And a lot of that damage is I have this, this idea. I don't need other people. I can't trust other people. People don't have my good in mind. Everybody's selfish. Everyone's out to out for their own stuff. Like that's how I, yeah, that's how I like viewed myself. And that's how I viewed, you know, life for a long time until I stepped into counseling and realized, dude, I don't have it figured out. It's funny. You asked this question, like you said, at the end of like, what would you, you know, give you a chance to um, say something to, to like a younger, your younger self or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, bro, like for me, it would be, why do you feel like you need to figure everything out on your own? Like, hmm. just ask. There's people, there's people that want to like come alongside and help. Just ask. Hmm. And that doesn't have to be your wife. That can be, mm-hmm. I would love for, I mean, it, it is my dad for me. My dad is one of my best friends. Um, a lot of people don't have that relationship with their dad. I would pray that you did, but um, man, it, it could be a, a good friend. It could be yeah. um, a sibling, uh, but yeah, don't do it by yourself. That's awesome. Thank you for that's That's great. Um, okay. Uh, so you had mentioned also uh, that you're in this, this season of transition right now. Um, and I feel like that's um, a lot of men. Um, there are a lot of people who like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, how has that been processing as far as, because, okay, so I'm, I'm just knowing, knowing you, um, I know you, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you have, you are, we were actually just talking about how you are, you, you're learning about yourself in certain ways through this transition of um, not really having, what was the word you used? Abyss? You used um, almost like not knowing. Uh, what have you been learning in that season right now? Um, the season of you're no longer over overseeing Colorado State's athletes in action and you're doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but like you're kind of finding your, your, your footing. Um, what would you say you're being taught right now? Bro, I would say one of the things that I am I am learning is you see our our our, our culture uses the phrase hustle like you gotta get the you gotta have your side hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, the harder you work, the better things go. Um entrepreneurs, you know, do this and do this and do this and do this. And there's this like incredible value in like, or it's, there's a worldly value in the busier you are, the more you hustle, the more successful you are, the better you're viewed. And I think the biggest thing I'm learning is that's not the ways of Jesus. Hmm. And the ways of Jesus did not hustle. He didn't have a side hustle and he didn't hustle. Jesus never hustled (laughs) quite the opposite. I'm learning what it means to sit and to be content in, in not hustling. Um, Mitch, you've known me, bro. I've, I've had, you know, my whole time at, you know, on South athletes in action, I've literally had three full-time jobs, you know, yeah. on AIA. At one point I was doing campus director, you know, at, at CSU doing football coaches at CU, you know, being on the national executive team and doing the Denver Broncos. Like I'm just running, yeah, like I would drive up and down it would be like Mondays, you know, um, Mondays and Monday morning in Denver at the Broncos facility, Monday afternoon at CSU, Tuesday, at, uh, Tuesday in Boulder, Wednesday at CSU, Thursday at home, Friday in Denver. And it was like, I'm driving up and down I-25 like crazy. And I look at that and I say, okay, there were some good things that were done, but man, I just destroyed my soul and my spirit mm-hmm. in the midst of all of that. And I just looking at it saying, I'm not, I'm just not sure. Like, why did I think that no one else could do that? Like, why did I feel like I needed to be the one to do all those things? What was I trying to gain by being the point person for all that stuff? So I think one of the things I'm learning now in this season of life is how do I just be with God? How do I be with me? How do I be with my family and not be so concerned about, um, 
if I'm not being productive, I'm being worthless. Like I remember one of my friends said something to me and it, dude, it jacked me up for a while because he was like saying something, he's big time real estate investor and all this stuff. And he made a statement of like, man, if you're not, if, if every day that you're not investing in real estate is a day you're losing money. And I was like, well, I'm a competitor. Like, I don't want to lose money. I don't want to lose this and that. Yeah. But bro, like, I can't live that lifestyle. Like I can't, I can't allow, I can't allow the statement every day that I don't do something I'm losing to drive me hmm. because I'm being driven by worldly things. And, um, Dang. those are just some things I'm learning about myself. So I'm probably leaving money on the table. I'm probably, you know, not, you know, doing the things that maybe I'm, I'm capable of doing, but I think I'm committed to just doing the things that God is asking me to do, not just what I'm capable of doing. Um, sorry. Last thing on that. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm talking too much. No, um, you're talking the perfect amount. There was this, um, there was this book that came out probably about 15, 20 years ago. It's called experiencing God, Henry Blackaby, great study, great book. It was like all the rage about 20 years ago in ministry. And everybody was doing the experiencing God Bible study. And in, in some ways, in a lot of ways, it was really, really good. But in some ways with my personality and my brokenness and my story and kind of the environment I was in, it actually messed me up because one of the big themes in that, in that study, which again, fabulous story. It's my, it's my brokenness that, that hijacked the message. The message is find out where God is working and join him at his work. Like basically like find out what God is doing and let's join God there instead of like trying to create something and inviting God into your work. Great principle, phenomenal principle, really good. But my brokenness, my extreme, you know, three Enneagram achiever competitive person is like, yeah. okay, where's God working and how can I join him? The problem is, Mitch, God's working everywhere. Like if you turn around, like God is always at work. And so yeah. I found myself saying, oh, God's at work there. I'm going to join him. God's at work there. I'm going to join him. God's at work there. I'm going to join him. And then I find myself just running around to all these little things that God's at work at when the reality is God's at work everywhere. And who deemed me the person that had to join God on every project that he's, that he's doing, you know? Yeah. Wow. You're like ministering to me. Cause that is, I'm a three also. Uh, and so you're speaking to um, even like what you said about like, maybe you're not doing everything that you could be doing, but you're doing everything that God asked you to be doing. Like yeah. that kicks that kicks me in the face a little bit because I'm I'm constantly uh, I've talked about a little bit about like the should haves um, I'm constantly fighting these like you should have or could have or you should be with the gifts that you have you should be doing this are you why aren't you doing that and um, you saying that I'm just like yeah well I feel like right now I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and maybe it's not everything that I should be doing or could be doing but it's mm -hmm. everything that I should be doing or I'm being yes. asked to do. And that's so cool. Wow. That's a really cool thought. I, um, I appreciate that a ton and I'm going to have you, what's the name one more time. What's the name of that book that you, that you read? Yeah, the one from years ago. Yeah. Do you know, do you oh, have it? Experiencing, experiencing God. Um, well, not that, not do you have it just, just like it was, it's experiencing God. Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Again, wonderful book, incredible book my brokenness took it to the extreme. Yeah. And I, I love, I'm going to go read that. I also, it's funny. You touch on a point of your, your brokenness. It's funny how you like these lenses that you wear, that you put on at like each individually, we have these lenses that we see the world through, through our brokenness. Like I could read that book and get a completely different thing than you. Yeah. I could get it completely wrong too, because of my brokenness. Like, and, and that's, it's, it's a fun, I don't hate, I don't like the word fun. It's an interesting uh, idea that like, it's, well, it talks to like, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Bible's living and active too. Like you could read one Bible verse and I will read the same Bible verse and it'll speak to me in one way and you in another. And that's just mm -hmm. kind of, kind of cool. The God that we serve. Um, yeah. Man, I don't want to keep, uh, I don't want to keep you much longer. Cause I know that you have to go pick up your kids for a dentist appointment. Um, yep. any, any closing, uh, thoughts that you, um, that you have on just, um, well, any pressing, like I didn't share this and I want to just share this real quick. 
Um, I don't have anything pressing. Okay. But yet at the same time, like, I think I just want to, I, I love the idea of what you're saying, normalizing things that typically we don't normalize as men in our culture. I think one of the things that I'm, that I'm gaining passion and heart for is, so I'm in, I, I'm in a group, I'm in a group with, with six other guys or seven of us. And we're in a group called Brotherhood together. Mm-hmm. And there's this organization called Restoration Project that is based actually here in Fort Collins. And they do these phenomenal, like, father, son, father, daughter, men's brotherhood environments that it's completely different men's ministry type stuff that I've ever even done. So we've been in a brotherhood group for two years now. And um, there are some people that are like, oh man, that's wacky. You don't don't do that. But we, we have never, if I can remember in our two years, we have never opened the Bible. Hmm. And um, we talk about Jesus all the time. We're always talking about scripture but it's never been a Bible study. It is from the beginning, the whole idea of the brotherhood journey has been share our story. And so we would literally like spend one day. So we, we meet for an hour and a half, starting at 545 on Monday mornings. And we don't miss, like, if you're out of town, you log in through zoom. Like that's a covenant that we've made with one another um, that you don't miss. And um, if one of the brothers can't make it for like an extreme circumstance, We'll either go to breakfast or we'll just say, hey, we're just not going to meet this week because that's how important it is to be together. And so so we would share our story. And so everyone goes through. So it took seven weeks for everyone to just literally share their stories. And what are the tragedies? Just tell us your story. And then after that, we bless each other. And we use our words to bless one another's stories and one another's lives. And so we for seven weeks, we go through and everyone shares their story. And then, bro, the next seven weeks, every brother gets blessed by all the other brothers in there. And so we write out like a blessing because here's the thing, Mitch, like our words is not just as men, but as people, but specifically as men, our words can be one or two things. Our words can be a blessing or they can be a curse. Hmm. Like that's kind of where it lands. Like we can either bless people or we can curse people. And that and that's just kind of what I believe. And maybe people like there might be a third or fourth, or maybe there is, but whatever. Like, <laughs> so we just choose to bless people. So we'll spend time just blessing each other and just talking about the glory of God that has been distorted by evil in each one of our stories. Wow. And after that, we'll dive into another part of our story. And then we we write a book together and then another, then we'll spend some more time talking about like our, our parents or talking about our wives or talking about our children. I think the, that's vulnerability. Like that's not transparency in any way, shape or form because you're sharing, expecting people to like touch you and, 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 yeah. and to be there with you. That journey of brotherhood of exposing my story has been the most healing thing because here are people. And, and I, I laid it all out there. Like there is not one thing that I withheld in my story and laid everything, every struggle, every, everything that I've wrestled with was brought out in that story. And to have these men around me still bless me when they know all the junk, it's like, Whoa, like that was cool. That was a cool experience. And so I don't know, bro. I think my parting thought is I love men's ministries. I just wonder if we might be able to go a little bit deeper into one another's stories hmm. um, beyond, you know, mimicking Joshua, be strong and courageous. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's, there's, yeah. there's ways in which I think God has designed us and has been distorted by evil. And I wonder if there's a, and there's a time for Bible study and there's a time for read scripture and truth and doctrine. And, and we do that. Yeah. But I have found the most fruitful time for me with my brotherhood group is when we just sit and just expose ourselves and just be like, this is who I am. And I'm feeling like crap right now. Or, okay, bro, we're meeting at your house. You've got a really nice house. I'm like coveting this right now. You know what I mean? And even saying that in that group and yet, you know, just accepting one another is huge. So I would just say finding environments where you can share and know that those men have your good in mind. Wow. That's awesome. And that is like, again, just to there, those are projects. That's projects that I want to work on and implement in the circles of my life. And that's something that I'm going to learn from. And, uh, I yeah. appreciate you, um, 
man, I want to start men's groups at, uh, at Red Rocks that we've, we're in the works and we're, we've got conversations going, but I'm bringing all of this to that table uh, yeah. the next time that we meet. That's super cool. Well, Reza, thank you so much. Again, it's an honor to have you here. And I'm just so thankful that you took the time to, to yeah, come. Bro. Um, I appreciate you a ton. And uh, on the podcast front on over a drink, we are, we're moving uh, next week. We have another fun guest and I'm actually super stoked because it's going to be, I have a friend who is a, and it's similar to you uh, on a kind of, he is a, a practicing Jew. Uh, and I want to talk about how he and his testimony have been uh, a part of um man and of his life like how the lord has worked through him in a different context different lens so reza thank you yeah. um and you until next it. week peace we'll see you thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the over a drink podcast make sure to follow us on instagram at the over a drink podcast and on twitter at over underscore a underscore drink reach out and send me a message I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace.